This morning we're going to continue on in our series from uh, the life of David, and uh, it's a time in David's life, of course, where he is now the boss. And the bigger challenge that anybody faces when they have authority, when they have been given the right and responsibility to lead. And so in this story today, what we're looking at is how it is that David responds during a very difficult time in his life. Uh, We've seen already how it is that David took advantage himself of his role as the king and had his way with Bathsheba. Of course, that brought upon his household really, really trying times, and we've been looking through that. But uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a particular time when David is taking his family out of the palace, out of Jerusalem, and uh, heading towards a little town, a little sanctuary called Bahurim. And there he becomes the focus of attention of a nephew of the previous king, King Saul. And we see an opportunity for David to do what only he can do in this period of command, and that is to lead by example. And this morning we've called the title of this message, Humility Under Fire. Well, humility is something that we um, often have come upon us uh, without our intention. Would that be fair to say? We are humbled. Um, a lot of you appreciate that Makata and I did a walk across the top of Spain earlier this year. We did 800 kilometers. And uh, I was walking along one day, one beautiful day. Birds were singing, blue skies along this gravel road. And I saw a couple, uh, a gentleman with his daughter who were doing the, the walk. And we'd seen them a couple of days before. And I just was walking along. I said, hi, and I fell over. Just, just like fell over. How? I don't know. It was like there was this little pocket of gravity that was accumulating in that moment, and I walked into it. Poof. You ever had that experience? It's like a little pocket of gravity. Yeah, it's one of those sort of black hole type things. That's what it seemed like anyway. And I was just on my face, had backpack on. I was like, how did I end up here? And... Um, and with that, <clears throat> this guy comes running over. Michaela was a little way ahead of me. She didn't actually see the event. And, and then the, uh, the daughter came over as well. And she gave me that look, which is starting to happen to me more now. Um, it's like, oh, you poor old man. <laughs> and and they, they tried to help me up. And I was like, oh, I'm okay, you know, blood coming from my elbow and my knee and, and all that. It wasn't too bad. <clears throat> and, um, and so, uh, you know, are you all right, sir? Are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know. I don't know how I am. Anyway, we get into town that night and we stay at this uh, hostel and then we go into town for, uh, for a meal at a cafe and uh, we started talking to two English guys and uh, they asked us where we're from and we said, oh, we're from New Zealand. And he looks at me and goes, Oh, you're the guy that fell over today, eh? I'm like, what? You know, I suppose there's not much news on the trail, you know? Guess what? A big Kiwi fella fell over today. Oh, really? Wow. I don't know. Go figure. But um, yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was humbling enough to fall over, but then to become the talk of the town, you know? It was like, oh, wow. So humility under fire is what we're about, you know? This isn't exactly an illustration of being under fire, but um, I certainly felt humiliated. What we're going to look at this morning is a a period of time in David's life where the issues of the heart are the critical issues. The issues of the heart are the critical issues. And I'm going to just take us back to the time when David was called, just to remind us of what it is that God was actually looking for when he called David to be king. So this is 
This picks up in the middle of a, a context of, of the, the prophets, uh, Samuel coming to his household. Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We'll just stop there. So it wasn't about how tall he was. Eliab was a big, tall guy. Uh, it was about the heart. I like the King James Version when it talks about these young men. It calls them ruddy. You like that? He was ruddy in appearance. You remember reading that in the King James? Yeah, Eliab had a ruddy appearance. It's not the sort of term we use these days, is it? You know, girls don't hear from their mum when they might go out with a young man and say, oh, he's a fine, ruddy boy. You know, it doesn't quite work, does it? Anyway, I just detract myself, distract myself here. But uh, God was looking at the heart, and that's what David is being tested upon today. But here we are in a scenario, and as Colin did so well for us last week, he asked the question, how did it come to this? How did it come to this? Here's King David. David's in this scenario now where his family is fighting. It's like this internal civil war going on. And David and his household are under threat from David's oldest son, Absalom. Absalom had raised up a young army, and they were on the march, on the way to Jerusalem, and David could see that this was a moment where he had to make a good decision, and so he decided that he would take his family, take his immediate servants, and he would head off to Bahurim, and he would abandon the palace. At the same time, he set the old army, all the old boys, who had fought many battles with him, and he'd sent them to face Absalom and this young army. So you can sort of see it, can't you? Got this old army, all the old boys there with all their experience and probably scars and one's only got one arm, but let me at him, you know, versus all the young bucks. And so this war is going to take place. No one would know what the outcome would be at this point. And David was on his way, on his way to make, uh, if you like, a sanctuary at Bahurim, a place where he can get away from, the, from this uh, attack from Absalom's uh, army. And then as he's going along this road, clearly sad, clearly depressed, he's greeted by King Saul's nephew. And this is what occurs. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed Shimei, I said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose name, I'm sorry, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Okay. Tough times for David, isn't it? Tough times. And the picture is just is worth painting again, isn't it? Inasmuch as David, with this depressed, bedraggled group of refugees now, 
carrying probably things that were of value to them. Maybe they had a little horse and cart going. But uh, they're going along a dusty mountain road to Bahurim. And on the way to Bahurim, somebody comes out from that town because they know that the king is coming. And he's a relation of Saul, a nephew of Saul, the previous king. And there'd been some devastation that had gone on. There'd been this other civil war that had occurred during the transfer of one kingship to the other. And Saul's family had become devastated. And here was one of the survivors, a guy called Shimei. And he comes out and he's just going to have this final word with David because he could see that David was now potentially going to be defeated by his own son. And so he puts it out there that this is because he has murdered or his family have murdered the family that he belongs to, Saul's household. And so you can see them coming down the road and this guy's there up on the hill, a little bit above them, maybe a little bit in front of them. And, he, and he's there and he's, he's throwing rocks at trying to get through the guard, trying to get at David, throwing these rocks, throwing dirt up him. He hasn't got a sword on him, but he's trying to make this, this impression and this insult upon David and say to him, you're worthless. You're just a murderer. You're just a scoundrel. And the reason you are, uh, the reason why you're being pursued by your son Absalom is because you've killed members of the former king's household. Well, Shimei's bitterness had drawn wrong conclusions about David's plight and problems. You see, what had happened here is that Shimei, in his anger, had interpreted David's situation as being in keeping with what his understanding of the things were that David had done wrong. I've got a, I've got a cousin who lives in Chicago, and some years back, I was over there and uh, doing a conference, and um, we went out one afternoon in his car. And the guy, he's a couple of years younger than me, he's never been married, and he'd get in this car, and he takes off, and he drives like a maniac. Now he's driving through all this Chicago traffic, left, right, left, right, running lights, you know, all this sort of stuff, going, oh, I'm just like hanging on. And I said, you always drive like this? Oh, yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I know why he's not married. No woman in her right mind could ever envisage herself sitting in a car for the rest of her life with this nutcase and their kids lined up on the back seat while he's prepared to play Russian roulette with the traffic. You see? Can you see my association there? I worked out why he wasn't married, because he's a crazy driver. Shimei's worked out why Absalom's pursuing him, because he's shed blood in his own personal family's household, which actually wasn't the truth, and we'll see that in a moment. But what happened here is Shimei's calling down curses, calling down curses upon David, whom up until this point we assume is God's anointed. Okay, so it's a strange scenario. David is God's anointed. He's coming out of the palace. He's still the king. And Shimei is calling down curses. And curses are literally a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone. So what he's saying is, God curse you. May this mountain fall upon you. May God bring lightning down. May the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. You know, all this sort of stuff where he's wanting God to do something that only God can do upon God's anointed. It's quite an unusual context, really. 
But Shimei is so angry. He can't make sense, really, true sense of what's going on. And so this Shimei, son of Gerah, he's operating out of, a, out, of a, out of a previous sense of loss and pain. And pretty genuine loss, pretty genuine pain as well. As we see here from a few chapters back, that the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So, what was the response? What was going to happen here? I'll push through. It says, Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. I just, I just love this guy's response. He's just, life is pretty simple for Abishai. Okay, we can take care of any problem. We can separate, you know, somebody's head from their shoulders. Problem over. Now, we all have this tension within us. We all have this ability. I've used this illustration before, but it's true. And that is when you, only, when you own only a hammer, everything has to be a nail. Is that right? When you've only got one answer, everything has to be the answer that you want to give it. So if you're a, if you're a school teacher, you will say, the answer is education. Yeah? If you're a counsellor, the answer is my leather couch and tell me how that made you feel. Okay? Uh, if you're a, a business owner, the answer is people should just work harder. Yeah? People should just work harder. Okay, so everybody's got an answer for something. If you're Donald Trump, you've... Well, let's just wait. Okay? <laughs> let's just wait. But with... With Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah being David's sister, so Abishai is David's nephew from his sister's family, he has only got a sword. And so therefore, whenever there's a problem, there's only one answer. <laughs> Off with his head, no problem. Has he got any argument? Nope. Okay, let's move on. Okay, it's a pretty simple solution really, isn't it? You know, pretty simple solution. But for David, this wasn't going to be the answer. For David, this is going to be a challenge. And this is where we see what it is that God had invested in. You see, David had got it wrong. And I think the reason why this story is recorded for us, a story amongst many other stories, why this story is recorded for us, though, is to remind us that even after David had sinned with Bathsheba, even though he had done some things wrong along the way, there was still this heart of humility that wanted to honor God. And so we see here David's humility under fire. And this is David's response to Zeruiah, uh, sorry, to, to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah. He says this. But the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So another he's saying, This is my problem. If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse. 
today instead of his curse today. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'd respond, to be honest. You've got to remember, this guy had all power vested within him. He had a willing participant in Abishai to take off the guy's head. He's covered in dust. He's dodging stones. He's depressed because his son is overcoming him with this new army. He's heading to a little town to find refuge. It's hot, it's dusty, and he's depressed. And he stops in the midst of this attack. And he goes, you know what? I could be right where God wants me to be. I could be right where God wants me to be. Have you ever had those sorts of scenarios? Where you look around and you're going, wow, this is a pretty sucky situation, but this might be where God wants me to be. I mentioned this walk that Makata and I went on, and we haven't, I haven't spoken about it since we got back, but to say that um, um, after about a week or so, Michaela had a, had a problem with her knee. It started to swell and went to the doctor, and the doctor said, look, you need to have a little rest. So I carried on walking, and she caught a bus. And when she got on the bus, this, do this 25 kilometers to the next town, she got on the bus, and there were all of these folks who were in the same position as her, all wounded, all looking really glum, all looking really sad. And, uh, and she gets off the bus that, that day, that morning, and she goes to the hostel where we're staying, and she said to me, she said, oh, look, I, I took some time out, you know. I just really had to spend some time with God because I've been looking forward to doing this walk and completing the whole thing, and now I've got a sore knee, and I don't know what the future's going to be. And, and she said, God said to me, I've got you just where I want you to be. She's like, hmm, with a busted leg, you know, swollen knee, swollen knee. And, and for her, in that moment, she realized that this was the best place for her to be, for God to speak to her. And so we can find ourselves in these places, difficult times, challenging times, and yet this is the place where God wants us to be. You see, we're told that it's through perseverance that we're perfected, isn't it? Are we ever told that, go off and have a jolly good time and wherever you go, doors will open, the sun will always shine, life will be perfect, uh, money from heaven will pour out into your lap, uh, everybody will think you're amazing, and you will grow in character as a result of that. You read that in the scriptures? I haven't read that in the scriptures myself. But here's David having to face up that there is some truth within this criticism. Is there truth within this criticism? Well, the simple fact is that David was honored in this story because he was prepared to stop and ask that simple question. I've been criticized. Is there truth in it? You know, the wounds of a friend are a blessing. The wounds of a friend are a blessing. Now, Shimei wasn't a friend as such. But David was prepared to stop and because Shimei had a, a rational argument for why it was that David was in this scenario. Shimei said to David, hey, listen, the reason why your son is pursuing you off the throne is because you have shed 
blood in the household of Saul. That's that's an argument. It's a rational argument. And David had to stop and go, okay, I can see why he thinks this way. It was wrong, but at least David was giving it a chance. And this is where the, the whole challenge for David's life started to really merge and con- converge in a, in a place of confusion, and yet truth was coming out at the same time. You see, the reason why David's household had become so confused was because of the, of the, adul- the adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. When he committed this adultery, he then lost any moral mandate that he had to judge his own family when it came to sexual sin. Right? And so after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the next big story we find in 2 Samuel 16 is the story of Amnon and Tamar. Tamar being a beautiful young woman, Amnon being her half-brother, and he lusted after her, and he connived of a way to have his way with her, and he raped her. David's response said that, is that he was angry. Yeah? And then what? Well, nothing. You know why nothing? Because David had lost the moral ability to go to his son and say, this is an absolutely vile thing that you have done. Why? Because he had done the same thing not so long before. So he lost the moral mandate to do that. And then after that, the oldest son, Absalom, said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. If my old man hasn't got the courage or the moral ability to actually stand and do something as a leader in this scenario, I'll do it. And so we find that Absalom arranges for Amnon to be murdered, to be killed as a result of his sin. And then David banishes Absalom because he hated the way that he responded to that scenario. And so Absalom's now pushed out of the, of the palace and he's living like a refugee. All of a sudden he realizes that he's got personality, he's got charisma, he's got the ability to lead, and so he builds an army and creates a, a new universe around himself. So why is David now under threat from Absalom? All the this journey takes us back to is that time when he lost his moral compass and committed adultery. Can you see the the way that this thing rolls? How it is? And that comes back to the place and time now where we are when David is on the road to Bahurim as a refugee. You see, all of our life is tied up with action and consequence, action and consequence, action and consequence. And when we trip and we fail and things go wrong, we still realize that there will be consequences even though we are forgiven. And that's the challenge that we all face, is that when we make these mistakes, whilst we are forgiven, we don't pursue those mistakes on the basis that we will be forgiven because there are going to be consequences no matter what we do. So let's move into the New Testament for a moment because we find some very familiar words from James, who says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
I like the beginning of verse 4 there. It says, let perseverance. Let it. Let that hard work that you're going through, those difficult challenges that you're in right now, let that perseverance that you're now contending with finish its work. How often do we want to shortcut everything? Don't we? You know? Gosh, you know, if there's a big hill to climb and you've started climbing and someone stops and offers you a lift, you go, yeah. Yeah? Yet if you walked it, you developed perseverance. Okay? If, so, if you're in a, in a place of work and things are tough, business is tough, money is tight, and somebody just offers you a check, that would be a great way out, but it'd be an easy way out, and you'd find yourself back in the same position later on. When your business is under pressure, these are opportunities for you to refine your work, refine your systems, refine your processes, refine your marketing. All of those important things that allow business to be successful. And the same with our character. When issues are around us, where we're being challenged and there are people throwing stones at us, we've got to say, hey, listen, this could be an opportunity for me to learn something. And you always have to split this conversation down the middle because there's always going to be two things going on when you're challenged. One is, is this an issue of principle or is this an issue of preference? Okay? I mean, a year or so ago, I think somebody came to me and said, oh, I don't like the color of your shirt, Craig. Oh, that's a principle. No, no, hold on. That's a preference. The principle is that I'm wearing one, which is good for everybody. Somebody might say to me, man, we need more hymns in our church services. Well, that's a preference. Okay? The principle is not being violated. We still have music for worship. Okay? A friend of mine told me uh, a couple of years ago that... Uh, that lady walk up to him after the service. This is pastor's joke material. This is what pastors talk about. He said, lady came up to him after the service and said, I didn't like your prayer. He goes, that's all right. I wasn't talking to you anyway. <laughs> Humility under fire. Humility under fire is what we've spoken about. We're going to switch where we are now and we're going to move into a time of communion. Because when we talk about humility and we talk about courage, we talk about challenge, we obviously are talking about the things that are very close to the Lord's heart. And uh, communion is a time for us to stop and think about the challenges that come our way. And yet when we look at the person of Jesus, and we realize the challenges that came his way and how it was that he was prepared to go to the cross with humility for our sake. Then we've got that communion story right in front of us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. 
I will not drink this cup again until I drink it with you when I enter into my kingdom. When we consider David's life and how he was prepared to stop and be silent during that time under which he was being attacked, we see a picture there of Christ who is to come. A picture there of silence and suffering. John's Gospel records for us how it is that silent like a lamb, Jesus was led to the slaughter. Even when Jesus was asked to defend himself in the courtroom, he chose to say nothing in his defense. On the cross, when he was crucified, he turned and he said, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And so we find that in humility, Jesus created a pathway for us. Just as in humility, Jesus was making a pathway for his household to Bahurim, Jesus created a pathway for us. And this pathway requires from us an equal amount of humility. Inasmuch as when we receive the elements today, we are saying to God, God, I can't do this without you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need the restoration that this communion offers me. A renewing and a restoring of my relationship with you. An opportunity to once again focus in on the very centerpiece of our faith. A humility from us that says, I can't do it my way. It's the Lord's way or no way at all. So as these elements are being handed out, just hold them. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then the music team are going to lead us in a song. And in your own time, I just invite you to take communion. And then when, you, when you're ready, you could stand and join in singing this final song. For now, let me pray. Let's bow our heads. When we read your word, Lord, we find ourselves in the picture and we ask, how would I respond if somebody was throwing stones at me? Would I throw the stones back? Would I say to my best friend, just take off his head? What an easy way out. But yet you've told us, Lord, that the meek shall inherit the earth. And in these words, Lord, you, you paint a, a bigger picture of how your kingdom was established. In humility and meekness, you went to the cross like a lamb, silent before the slaughter. And so, God, we're reminded that in humility, the kingdom of God is established. And as we face trials of many kinds, as James says, we're reminded that in perseverance, as we let perseverance have its way with us, we will become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Lord, I put my hand up and I say I'm lacking. 
lacking plenty of things. So I know that your work is not complete in me. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your grace poured out upon us to continue that work in our lives. Let us take the lessons from David's life where he stopped and he paused and he considered the criticism and said, maybe in this criticism, God is speaking to me. Lord, we thank you for this example. As much as we thank you for the cross, for the covenant made in your blood. Thank you for your broken body that gives us life as you exchange our sin for your perfect life. Let's eat and drink.